So I've been playing loads of golf, Steve. I'm insanely jealous. I've been playing none. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of very different formats of golf. How have you been? I don't understand how you've managed to do this because last Friday I drove to Middlesbrough um, and it was raining the proverbial cats and dogs. And I got to the, I got to, I went to the football. I got to the football and looked out and I thought, there is absolutely no way I'll be playing golf tomorrow. And soon enough, it was cancelled, course flooded and all that. So, how on earth have you managed to play in that kind of maelstrom? I've had sort of decent decent experiences as well so i was in devon last week for uh for half term and i was staying at the artist formerly known as high bullet now the mole um and we hadn't managed to get any golfing at all because of uh, the weather as you say was awful um so on the sunday morning before we came back me and my little boy went out and played um four holes um on the nine holer at, at high bullet it was pretty funny his golf's getting um to the point where you can just about, you can, I reckon you could just about play nine holes now uh, around a full-size golf course and it wouldn't be too bad. He can sort of reliably whack his driver in the broad direction of the green. Um, so that's good. And it's kind of like, I don't know, can, the development is like really good to see. Um, it was obviously completely soaking underfoot um, because it had been so, so wet. Um, so he didn't like that because he was getting wet socks um, and wet feet. And he just didn't understand it. And it, it occurred to me that his entire golfing experience has been on either sand-based England top 50 heathlands or links courses. Why is the ball not rolling anywhere, Daddy? Why is why is it why is it so soggy? It's like you, you don't you don't know you're born, son. You don't know you're born. He plays football though, doesn't he? So I mean he should be used to wet pitches and wet socks. Well, but it's contextual, isn't it? It's kind of I don't get wet feet when I play golf. Therefore, I'm cross. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then uh, I got back with a full day's work to do on Monday and totally forgot that I had um, a pairs game to play in the afternoon with Hannah. So that was the first round of the um, the four ball better ball. We actually turned up thinking it was the foursomes. So the fact that it was the four ball came as a little bit of a surprise. Um, we had an amazing game, absolutely amazing game. We played a husband and wife couple called the Swarbricks who was sensationally good company. Um, the type of people who you meet and you sort of like just can't, you don't understand why they're so happy. How 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 are, the, how are people this happy? They didn't seem to be crossed by anything. I couldn't believe it. Uh, anyway, we played this unbelievably good game off the yellow. Uh, men played off the yellows, women played off the reds. Um, so there was some quite good apartheid. So I chatted to Mr. Swarbrick and Hannah chatted to Mrs. Swarbrick. Um, we shot 64 gross me and hannah could you believe that uh, and that was only good enough for a two and one win so it was a game of some quality you're obviously like the tall villain dean of all woodley's <laughs> four ball better ball competition well everyone's holding up tens when you put a, when you when you play an approach shot have you played golf with hannah I have played golf with Hannah. Not, I've never been partnered with her, but I have played with her. She is an unbelievably long driver. Yeah, she is very good at driving it. She's also stupidly competitive, like as in she doesn't have, she has no setting other than attack. Um, so it was pretty bizarre because, like I said last week on this podcast, like I, 
turn up for these things and I think I get into a mode where I think right my number one aim here is to make sure that the swore bricks think I'm all right by the end of the round and I don't really care what the result of the match is um so this sort of this kind of reached its um what's the word zenith on the fifth green where um Mrs Swarbrick had hit a really good approach putt to about two and a half feet which she'd marked uh, and then we all did our golf, and then it turned out that she was going to have this two and a half footer for a half. Hannah was like glaring at her and then glaring at me, and obviously going to try and make it knock her in. I picked the marker up and gave her. Hannah was absolutely fuming, absolutely fuming. Uh, anyway, other than that, it was quite a civilized game. Um, and then I played my, uh, I played the first round of my single scratch yesterday in an absolute gale. Did you go outside yesterday? Uh, there wasn't any gale where I was, where I was. So, but there must have been. We're in, I was in the office, so it had to be windy. Well, it was ridiculous. Like I've never, I, well, obviously, have played uh, golf in wind like it, but it was, it was all a bit of a shock to the system because we've been paddling round um, off the black winter tees or the yellow tees for um, however many months, and all of a sudden we're back on the white tees. And the wind had changed direction. So what are ordinarily uh, eight holes downwind were eight holes into the wind. The wind was, I reckon, at least a 30 mile an hour wind. And it was freezing because it was an easterly. So the ball was just going nowhere. Well, I reckon I've been, so I reckon I've been flicking gap wedge into the first for the last couple of months. And uh, it was driver four iron. So it was quite, <laughs> it was quite a tough day. I mean, it's just, it's just, did it, it's just incredible that you've played so much of this. I mean, like, we haven't even done the draw yet for hours. <laughs> well, so, so I'm going away next week, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, and I won my match yesterday, one up. Um, but I was playing I was playing a lad who uh, I've known for a long time off uh, five or six, but he's unbelievably handy round old Woodley. He's got like a big raking draw, which suits our place very well. He also it's a knuckleball like you've never seen anyone hit it. So into the wind, he's astronomically long because the ball goes about two feet off the ground. It just doesn't spin. Um, downwind, he's not so much use because he literally can't stop the ball. Like it just, it, he was like forty yards over the back of the last green, which helped me close out the match. Um, but it was all of the usual stuff that I find in these in these scratch matches. It's like like you say, it's too early, so the um, greens aren't very good. The, it was too windy, it was too cold, um, and there was two people who play infrequently with young families who are really are not good enough to be playing off the back tees or Woodley in a scratch game. So it was pretty funny in terms of like the various things we were offering each other in terms of chances to win holes. Um, on the twelfth, he topped it into the um, the bushes right in front of the tee, and we could see his ball, but it was up in an absolute quagmire. And he said, "Do you mind if I declare that lost?" And I was like, "That's no problem at all." Uh, anyway, I hit it up the middle. I hit it up the middle, and he hit, he hit a really good tee shot. And then he stiffed his fourth, <laughs> so he made a five. Meanwhile, I've I'd um, somehow managed to hit it in the left hand bunker from like eighty yards. Uh, and then walked off with a half. And then on the next hole, I'm like 20 feet away, and it's down. I've got a downwind putt, which I hate on slow greens. I honestly, I don't know if I got it halfway and lost that one. So I just just sort of handing holes to one another, left, right, and center. Anyway, it was pretty good fun. So what did um, what did he do then when he 
decided to declare his ball lost? Did he take stroke and distance? Did he go back? Yeah, yeah. So I said, I said, yeah, of course you can, and I'll even let you go and pick it up, and they just played three off the tee. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. I, I should just point out you can't declare a ball lost. Well, I know you can't. But, <laughs> um, and you can't deliberately circumvent a rule either. Um, but you can. But he, you, you've, he's always got the option of playing stroke and distance. So, so you think you think we should both be DQ'd, dear? No, no. He's always got the option of stroke and distance. Right. You just had, you just, you just had to be worried for just a second. <laughs> well, it was interesting, actually. It was interesting, actually, because we then got into a conversation about cheating. Uh, and I nearly messaged you last night saying, shall we do the podcast about cheating tomorrow? We're going to have to do that one day, aren't we? Yeah, but then the question always comes up, have you cheated? <laughs> and, and then you're going to have to bear all, aren't you, Tom? I mean, I've been a junior golfer. Of course I've cheated. All junior golfers cheat, don't they? they just, I mean, like the my... Uh, my uh, eight-year-old's approach to scoring is absolutely hilarious. He basically just picks a number which he thinks is sort of not embarrassing, and that's what he got. And it, it, often it's like it could be as many as ten out. <laughs> we can do cheating next week. Save your best until then. Fair enough. What are we doing today? Uh, we're going to do food, aren't we? We're going to do the thorny issue of golf club catering, which we're a bit apprehensive about, aren't we? Because we're not really sure that people are... Get that get that triggered about it, but then they do get triggered about it um, in a in an off Twitter environment, don't they? It's something that people argue a lot about at golf clubs, and it upsets people on committees that they can't make it work. Um, so I do think it's something that's worth discussing. What do you think? I agree. Um, as somebody, I, I'm one of those people that I like to make full use of the clubhouse facilities. So, you know, you know, like if I go to the football, for example, I like to eat something at the football. If I go to a golf club, I like to eat something at the golf club. I like to make it an experience. You know, I like to either have lunch or I like to have dinner after my round. I like to have something along with a pint and like to make a bit of a day of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I've decided we're too miserable on this podcast, right? So we're going to try and I'm going to try and get this going on a positive and talk about our best ever food experiences. See if we can get people licking their lips, salivating, if you will. I've got, I've got four. I think I did have three, and now I've got four. So, uh, can you have a top four? Is that a thing? You can have whatever countdown you want, really. So, do you want me to go first? Yes, because my list is considerably less, having learned about your list about ten minutes before we went on air. <laughs> so. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, kind of a, I guess, a pretty typical thing is this this idea of a carvery, right? So if anyone's ever been to um, any of the sort of Surrey Heathland courses, they seem to, I don't know how they managed to do it, but they seem to have like a, a unique skill in making unbelievable Sunday dinners, um, which are available, in my experience, whenever you go there. Presumably they're not they're available because I'm there for a corporate day or whatever. Um, the one I'm cho- the one I've chosen as my best experience is the Carvery at Whirlpoolston. So we, we play in um, sports marketing surveys. I think it's called uh, their 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 client day um, most years, and they just it is incredible. It's like there's like three different types of meat. It's like beef, ham, uh, chicken or turkey or whatever. It's like a proper proper job, um, like this incredible salad bar thing to start off with. They do like Stilton and all the rest of it afterwards. It's yeah, it's just 
it's kind of like, I don't know, it shouldn't really be allowed because, I mean, you must do like 5,000 calories before you've even started on the red wine. So that is a pretty exceptional experience. And I know people say, oh, like, there's the lunch at Muirfield and all that sort of stuff. But that, I think, is more about the um, the sort of setting and the tradition of it all. The, the I think if I was going for a kind of traditional golf club food best of, then the carvery at Whirlpulston is, is ticking a lot of boxes. So that's one for you. Um, mine is the lunch at Swinley Forest, yeah, which is just, it, it is very, and, and you reminded me about it when you were talking about Whirlpulston there. I mean, Swinley Forest, uh, a golf course is just unbelievable. And then you sort of all, it's really, tr- it's, it's traditional, but it's a really friendly club as well, actually. Um, and you play this wonderful round of golf on a really quirky exceptional course and then you basically all decamp upstairs into this like really it's like really it's like oak beamed beamed room isn't it with like memory like um mementos from the history of the club all around it and then you sit down to this and it's like a carvery as well actually you just go up don't you and you get the bits you want but the choice in every sphere um was just like nothing i've ever seen there are about eight different kinds of dessert it was ridiculous it's the, it's the only place I've ever been, uh, and I, I'm vegetarian now, we'll talk about this later, later, but I was a meat eater at the time, and it's the only place I've ever been where I asked for both turkey and beef, or whatever meats were on, whatever meats were on display, and did not get a derisive look from the person serving. It was just like a normal thing. He just went, yeah, all right. <laughs> stuck it both on whereas normally like you ask for two separate sorts of meat at a carvery and you get the absolute evils don't you i was i was it i was in my absolute element i mean I, I was sat next to god bless him i was sat next to john paramore at swindley forest and john was um being a bit more health conscious at the time so he his his lunch plate was like um um suitably demure and i honestly i I, my plate looked like I hadn't eaten in about six weeks. It was just piled up high. And uh, with, with no one giving you any grief at Swinley, what a day. I wish I could go back there. You have absolutely got to fill your boots on those occasions, haven't you? I had no shame. Um, and I, I think the, but in both of those things, I think it's like it's obviously something that's adding to the experience, right? So it it kind of matters in that sense that you go and play obviously we're talking about absolutely amazing golf courses but that all adds to it like if you go in there as a guest um, or you go in there for a special occasion the the what is happening to you off the golf course is 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 adding another layer on isn't it into your um your whole enjoyment of the day yeah so, absolutely you... i mean sorry Tom, absolutely i mean i i when i talk about swinley forest now i spend as much time talking about the lunch as mm-hmm. i do about what we actually did on the golf course yeah yeah and people when people do that they do a sort of little knowing half smile don't they when they say that and oh what about the lunch <laughs> it's like something very kind of visceral um my next category is nostalgia right so i've got a nostalgic food favorite and I reckon, so I, I, I always bang on about this, aren't I? I grew up at Louth Golf Club in Lincolnshire, and it's like proper salad day stuff, right? So I spend my whole, I used to bunk off school to go there, like it was the other side of our school football pitch. Um, and then I'd spend all my school holiday days there. And on Saturdays, we would go and play in the Saturday morning fiddle. And it was just like where I lived, basically. Um, and the sort of meal of the day for the juniors was chips and cheese. 
and I swear I can still smell it. Like there are certain golf clubs where you go in and I kind of get a bit of a tingle and a tear in my eye because I can, I can smell chips and cheese. It must be something to do with like cooking fat or whatever, right? Or what a golf club kitchen smells like. But chips and cheese at, at Lauf Golf Club, that has to be on my food list because uh, it's, yeah, I, 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 it's, it, this is like 30 years ago and I could, I can, I would still really like to eat some chips and cheese from Louth now. Have you got a, have you got a nostalgia category? Uh, I don't know if I can put my former club as nostalgic since it was only a couple of years ago, but I do miss I do miss the um, I do miss the food at Sandburn Hall. It's absolutely incredible. So Sandburn is like uh, it's got a restaurant attached to it called Tykes. Um, it's really, really good. It's like an award-winning restaurant. Specializes in like fish and steaks and things like that. Um, but they did a separate menu for the sports bar. But it obviously came from the restaurants. It was the same people cooking in the restaurant who cooked the sports bar food. And for a fiver, it's a bit more expensive now. But for a fiver, three or four years ago, you could get like this. Um, I could get this mozzarella. Um, like cheese, tomato, and onion panini with chips and a bit of salad, and it was enormous. It was enormous. It was like under a fiver. It was like four ninety five. I didn't have to eat for the rest of the day, and it was restaurant. It was restaurant quality as well. So I mean, there's like every but every but box was ticked. You know, filling. Didn't need to eat again. Washes down perfectly with a pint. Could waddle out of the golf club after a round. I spent a fortune in there because basically just would have my. I basically eat every time I played golf. <laughs> uh, so that, well, exactly like this. I, I think that is like, um, what and what how it should be right. The food is so good that you you choose to eat there. That is like the that's the um, absolute jackpot for golf clubs. Um, my next category is sort of quirky. Um, so some, there's quite a few places I think that have got kind of got a signature disc. I guess the classic thing is like a club sandwich, right? But some places will have like a little, um, some, maybe it'll be some sort of local produce or have something a bit kind of offbeat that um, is something that, that club's known for. I'll Woodley do a um, pork pie and mushy peas, which is sort of their kind of like nod to that sort of thing. My, my winner of this category is the cheese cheese and fruit loaf at ganton which is just it's there's the business in it yeah you, you I, I was going to talk about the, the 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 stilton the stilton cake at ganton it's famous ah. for it isn't it it's absolutely famous for it but and it's also just what you want like when you cut with so you come off the golf course at ganton it's like I, I invariably go there in winter so it's cold and you've you're finishing in i don't know you're not having your meal there um but you want something to eat and you get your pot of tea or your pot of coffee and a, a cheese and fruit loaf, and it is, it is precisely what you want, isn't it? I I I don't understand even now what's so good about it because it really shouldn't work. It should <laughs> not work like a sort of sweetish fruit loaf with a bit of mouldy cheese on top. I mean, it really sh- it really shouldn't work, but it but it's just an unbelievable it's, combination. It's a classic. So yeah, I think well, that's uh, so that 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 kind of thing. I think is. Um, yeah, like it's not a signature dish, is it? It's too grand a way of putting on it. But I think if you golf clubs that have got like a something a little bit quirky that they're known for, I think that kind of sticks in the memory as well. Um, and then I've got this. Uh, I've got a, I've got a fourth one, which I think is uh, sort of quite personal to me. My my uh, my eldest son doesn't eat anything. Um, so the only things he eats are strawberries, 
uh, cream cheese sandwiches, uh, peanuts and crisps and cucumber. So I spend my life going to restaurants saying, I don't suppose you've got any cucumber that you could just chop up or whatever. Um, it's soul destroying. But anyway, it's probably not for this podcast. So we, I go up to Old Woodley with him all the time. So they've now got a button on the till, which is called Joseph's Meal. Um, and they, they charge like three quid for it. <laughs> and they just bring out this array of the yellow foods that he eats. Uh, so, I mean, that I've got to mention that because that's pretty cool, isn't it? That he's got his own button. It's like someone with their own button for a pint of bitter, isn't it? That is, um, it's like having your own tankard, isn't it? Yeah, Down the bar, exactly. Tom's tankard. Yeah. That is really, really something. That just shows you, though, doesn't it? I mean, we're going to get in, I suppose, to some bits of golf cup catering that they don't do right um, later on. But that's that's a really, really good example of just a tiny bit of thought, isn't it? And yeah, it is. It, could go in the extra mile and really providing some good customer service and the feeling that that gives you. Oh, as a dad, and gives him because he's comfortable now that he knows when he goes to the golf club he's going to get something that he likes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's a very clubby thing, isn't it? Um, and I think like that. I'm glad we started on positive stuff because, and I'm glad I got the sort of cliche carvery stuff out of the way at the start because, because good good food at a golf club it really does matter and it massively helps the experience, but it doesn't have to be. A carvery does it? It needs to just be show that someone cares. Like we had the best, literally the best chips I've ever eaten at Seaton Crew the other week, um, and like you, you just sort of see the sort of smiles on the face of the people in my group. God, they're good. Um, so you got kind of go away happy, and it's like the, the literal opposite of a leaving with a sour taste in your mouth, isn't it? They um, there is they, they did this scone there. I don't know if it's like part of what they do. They did this scone there, though, which was which was just... I mean, you had to taste it to believe it. My mate um, went down with the four of us. My mate who came down with us bought every scone in the place. He had one of them, and he bought every single one of them. Took a tray home with him. Because <laughs> he liked them so much. Have you got any scones? Yes, I'll take 20. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, so... the. It, there's lots of good stuff, but it is a big problem for golf clubs, isn't it? And the reason we're going to talk about it is because we, we think it's something that people are kind of falling out about, perhaps, or arguing about, or no one can quite get right and, at, at various different types of golf clubs up and down the country. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to kind of um, different people's requirements for food. Um, not all people take their golf in the same way, and that leads to an awful lot of um, disparity in terms of what people are looking for. Um, so you'll you'll definitely have some like early risers who want who get to the golf club for their eight o'clock tea time midweek or even earlier at a weekend and will expect there to be a coffee or a bacon sandwich for them available before they go and play. So that that's a very early start, um, and that is like something one thing that people want want to cover. Um, I then think you've got um, a whole host of sort of midweek crowd who come off the golf course kind of late morning. Um, who don't necessarily want to eat their lunch, but they want something easy and cheap and quick um, for their sort of post-round snack while while they have a pot of tea. That's another thing that people need to provide. I think there's people that people coming after work who might want to eat before they play or even after they play because they want to eat their evening meal at the golf club. And then there's this whole concept of like Sunday lunches and um, 
coming up to the golf club for Mother in Sunday or Easter Sunday, whatever it is, and the kind of Carvery concept that we talked about. So that is that is a big spread of stuff, isn't it? Like, so you're basically talking on the one hand about a kind of greasy spoon cafe experience at breakfast time. You've then got people who potentially want like a healthy lunch, um, who might have popped up to the golf club to do a bit of work, and they they kind of want to, they would like to have a decent salad or they'd like to have um, a decent healthy lunch. And then on the other end, you've got like a sort of fine dining experience on a Sunday where people want to have the the best Sunday lunch they've ever had. So you're asking an awful lot, aren't you? And they can be provided by completely different sets of people. So you can have, you know, from my experience at like Close House and Sanburn Hall, absolute restaurant standard food within the club to the club do it themselves with their own catering team or they bring in a franchise to do it for them. And it's like a separate, it's almost like a separate part of the business, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think the, We'll get onto solutions later, but I think there, there are lots of different ways of there are lots of different ways of cutting it. Um, and I think you of, often the answer is to be innovative like that, and you kind of operate like a two speed system almost. Um, I mean, I mean, the the overall point is that I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. Um, I've heard it said. I've sat in enough golf club manager groups, and I've sat in enough conferences to know that for an awful lot of golf clubs, food is a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. cost-wise you know catering loses money yeah yeah i mean I, I think that's just a given um i think there are there are obviously anomalies and i'm sure people will tell us when they when they listen to this or or read it on the website but there, there are um golf clubs out there that i'm sure are making a success of catering i mean i don't i don't know their financials but i'm sure that somewhere like formby um is pretty healthy from a catering point of view simply because they've got such a number of chimney pots who are within walking distance of the golf club. They have a huge dining space upstairs and it, it is a club that you go to to eat um, and people socialise there. Um, so there are, I'm sure there are places making it work, but I think for the vast majority, it is a hugely sticky subject. And, and I think that, you know, as a golf club... Um, there's obviously the there's obviously what your members want and what your members need, but you've got to be pretty committed to something that you know is actually not going to make you a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've got all of these you've got all of these different people wanting food at different times of day and different types of food. Um, so what what are the other challenges? What challenges do you think that throws up within within what do you mean? Well, because we've got this sort of unique environment where people are being asked the clubs have been asked to provide almost round the clock food, aren't they? So, I mean, b- before you get into anything else, it's just a phenomenal amount of hours, isn't it? Yeah. And, and totally different needs for people. Um, I mean, for example, you know, you were talking about the bacon sandwich earlier on mm-hmm. at Sanburn hall. They used to have, they have like a mini grill behind the bar, like immediately behind the bar where whoever comes in, like on a Saturday morning, whatever time they start, the first thing they're doing essentially once they've unlocked the doors is they're basically grilling bacon sandwiches. And if those bacon sandwiches weren't ready when the first tea times came off, for whatever reasons, our first tea times at Sanburn used to be like half seven. I mean, they used to be hell on in the clubhouse. And shamefully, in the days when I did consume animal products, um, 
I could be one of those people who would get disgruntled if the bacon sandwich wasn't ready at half seven. So that's like enormous pressure to start with. You know, you haven't even like unlocked the tills and you know that in 20 minutes time, if you don't have 20 bacon sandwiches basically wrapped up in foil and ready, there's going to be disgruntled customers straight away. We used to do this other thing, just moving on to what you were talking about with soup. So in the winter, they had a hugely successful soup. You know, they like used to sell it at pound fifty a cup unbelievable all sorts of weird and fantastic varieties of soup they do in the restaurant fantastic Um, and they used to bring it out in a big vat and it was hugely like popular so if you weren't you know if you if you were like teeing off at 11 o'clock and getting round to the halfway house at one there was every chance that the soup would be gone because it wouldn't just be the people who were going around picking it up before, and it'd be the people coming into the clubhouse going, oh, soup, fantastic. Yeah. And it, it, there used to be hell on if there wasn't another vat. Why have I missed out on the soup just because I've teed off late? Um, so, you know, they're, they're two really simple things, and they're two really successful things, but, but that just shows you, doesn't it, I think some of the challenge of, like, keeping golf club members happy with their needs without even, without even Tom, going on to, what do you do with people for lunch? What do they want? Do they want a quick bite? Do they want a full-on meal? You know, what do we do about Sundays? What do we do about evening meals? Do we bother with them? I mean, I, I, it seems to me to be, I, have, I, I treat catering staff with huge respect because I think they've got um, a, a, an enormously difficult job trying to keep up to 200 people on a very busy day happy, all of whom potentially want different things. Yeah, I think what you, what you've just described there is that a sunburn. Sorry, did he say? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like I'm sure some people weren't happy, but that is that they are cool solutions to that, though, aren't they? Like it's basically mass catering. But if you can do mass catering in that sort of like home cooked, uh, home cooked way in front of people, then that is, I think, that's a really cool solution to that that sort of that sort of bite to eat um, type of environment. So I think that one of the big challenges is just the the simple amount of hours so if people are playing golf from seven o'clock on a weekend and they want a coffee before they play that means someone's got to be there with hot coffee made at six o'clock let's say um and in a, on a summer's day it can there can be people coming off at the golf course at basically 10 o'clock who still want to get a drink or potentially a bite to eat so that is a lot of hours in it and like something has to give, basically, and you you gonna have to accept that you can't keep all of those people happy. You can't put a coffee machine in because I've seen coffee machines and they get such use that you're always having to maintain them because they're always breaking down because because mm. they're probably just not designed to have about 150 people from seven o'clock till nine o'clock basically sticking pound coins into it. Yeah. Maybe they are, but. We've got a contactless coffee machine now, oldly, but I don't know how to use it. I've never managed to get coffee to come out of it, which is quite disappointing for me in terms of my self-esteem. Um, then, then I think this, there is definitely a thing in golf clubs where people want quality food and they want it quickly, but they also definitely want it to be cheap, don't they? So people expect their beer and their food to be subsidised, but they want no compromise on quality. Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've spoken to enough golf club managers over the years who tell me when they put the price of the tee up 15p, there's a riot. Yeah. <laughs> people, people are asking for heads. You know, the, 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 the price of a piece of cake goes up on a Tuesday afternoon and there's, there's just a revolt. It re- I mean, that is a thing that really surprises me. A lot of golf club members are um, reasonably wealthy or 
comparatively wealthy, should we say, and they will all go and eat at nice restaurants where they will pay £30 or £35 for a bottle of wine and they'll pay £6 for a bottle of premium lager or a, bo- a pint of premium lager. But if the pint of price of the pint of bitter at their golf club moved to 10p, then there's all hell off. Well, it's, it's, it's odd as well. I mean, I, I think we've seen a perfect encapsulation of this over the last sort of 18 months or so with inflation, right? So everybody in their personal lives is talking about cost of living, aren't they? The, increase, the increases to their gas and their electric, the increase in costs of food, but they're completely ignorant about this when it comes to, um, when it comes to what's happening at their golf clubs. I, I do believe golf club members have realised that subscriptions have had to rise because of the increased costs that their golf club have had in terms of utilities. I do think there is a realisation among that. But when I've spoken to managers and, you know, they've told me that, like, the price of a chicken has trebled or, you know, or the price of beer gas has gone up by 40%. And then they're saying, well, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to protect this cost increase from our customers because we know that, you know, if we put the prices up, that there's going to be, there's going to be complaints. And you just think, well, food in, you know, you can, you can see how much pasta's gone up in the shops, can't you? You can see how much your weekly shop's gone up. Why would you think it would be any different for your golf club that probably isn't, um, that needs to push their own margins? But that, I mean, people do apply different standards to their golf club. Um, I guess it's because they paid a membership fee, so in, they they feel like they they have they they've got more of a right of a voice about the price of stuff than they do anywhere else. Um, and I, I get people also do treat it like a second home, don't they, to a certain extent? Um, so any if something had changed in your house, you'd be cross, wouldn't you? So I think I think without you deciding it was going to change, I think there's an element of just a, a sort of proprietorial about this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it, 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 golf clubs, they, they got basically, um, 500 different board members, haven't they? Who feel like they should have a say in the price of the pint. I think that is one of the problems. I suppose this is where it's slightly easier to be a, uh, a proprietary club because while your members might still complain about the cost of something in reality, there's very little they can do about it, is it? Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a private members club. You can all, you can all club together as a collective and send an email bemoaning the increased costs of coffee yeah uh you've also a massive problem at the minute is staffing isn't it like i don't know if i don't know how much you've covered this on gcma business but i mean yeah there is a genuine crisis right well yeah but i i think that i have sympathy and then i and then i also think that um golf clubs are just going to have to realize that when it comes to hospitality staff, that they're in a competitive marketplace now. Um, so, you know, if you're, if, if, if hospitality, if providing hospitality is what you do, that's what you do for your living. And you can go into a bar in a city center, for example, and get paid two pounds, two pounds 50 an hour more than you will at the local golf club. Well, it shouldn't be a surprise that you're then going to go and work in that center. And, and that's what we've seen with hospitality. Obviously, um, people can, uh, Put their blame onto why there's a shortage in hospitality. There's something beginning with B <laughs> that seems um, that seems quite uh, that seems quite prominent in this. But but people will argue about that. But for but for whatever whatever reason, there is a massive shortage in hospitality staff. I think some of it is also due to pandemic. You know, people had three months sitting at home um, and more time sitting at home the following year, thinking, "Is this actually what I want to do with my life?" 
and decided no, that it wasn't, and they went into new things, higher paid things, um, better prospect things. And so, uh, and, and golf is often slow with a lot of things. The industry gets there in the end, but it just takes it a little bit of time to get there. Um, and I think that's where we are with hospitality staff at the moment. You know, it's a job that is demanding. It, it is extremely unusual hours and it's not brilliantly paid. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised if following a cataclysmic event, um, there has been some realisation among people that they want to do something else. Or if they're going to do that job, they want to be paid more for it. And we're, we're not just seeing this in hospitality, Tom, are we? We're seeing it across all industries. It's why there's a lot of striking going on at the moment. But, you know... We, yeah, so golf clubs are just going to have to get with it. They're going to have to pay the market rate if they want to if they want to solve this staffing crisis, and that's in greenkeeping, Tom, as well as obviously in hospitality. Yeah, yeah, but it's, I guess it's one of these things where catering is already hard enough, isn't it? As in, it, it's a, it's more more restaurants go bust than anything else, I think, because they often are sort of labors of love and they're very difficult to make work. Um, so I think you've got all of the standard issues with catering, which are then sort of um, amplified by the golf club environment. And the staffing thing, I, I, I do have some sympathy with it because all of the stuff that you said, I think, rings true. Um, but the paying the market rate if you can't afford it is pretty challenging. And I think golf clubs are also tricky locations for people. Like city centres, obviously, people can get to it. They're transport hubs. A lot of the places we're talking about you have to have a car they're not easy to get to so i think again it is it is more challenging very very strange i think going um i've been doing a lot of traveling recently and, and places where you just got used to hearing um eastern european accents or whatever else and you just don't anymore um it's odd it's really odd um and you can sort of see that people are relatively new in post and it's a, it's a challenge for a lot of catering places isn't it um and then yeah, so I think the so I think we've covered quite a lot of the challenges there. It, it, so it's we sort of accept that it's difficult. Um, so what do you think? What do you think some of the solutions are? Well, how have you seen it done well? What do you think works? How would you do it if you were CEO of S- Steve's Links? Crikey! <laughs> would it be called Steve? It couldn't be called Steve Links. Would it? What would it be called? It might be called Steve's Disaster. Because you probably fold after about three months. The carol. You call it the carol, wouldn't you? You call it the carol, and people would be misspelling it, so people would like never be able to find it on Google. And people, well, it'd be busy at Christmas, I would have thought. <laughs> you'd, do, you'd have the best turkey trot in golf. Absolutely, I think quality is is something that shouldn't be um, shouldn't be. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I th- compromised I think is the word you're looking for thank you yeah word spreads I think um, so my golf club York um, has got a particular reputa- reputation for Sunday lunches um, and that has spread so beyond the confines so on a Sunday you might see some some golf club people there some golf club members there but largely it is not it's people who've come to the golf club to have sunday lunch and that's because they know what they're getting is really good quality we've got a great um got a great set of 
set of people that do the food at York. And it's amazing when you go in there on a Sunday morning, like I can, if I play really early, I can be in there about 20 past 11 and the whole place is like transformed. There's just all of these tables. It's amazing to see all these covers. You think, crikey, this place is going to be full in like an hour with all of these people from outside of the golf club. And the reason is because the food's got a very, very good reputation. So I think quality is the first thing, isn't it? If you can, um, if you can establish a reputation for quality, people will come for it if they know they're going to get, especially if that's combined with good value as well. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's an aside, isn't there? If you go to somewhere, if you've got some of these really um, fine dining golf clubs, um, partly you go also for the chef, don't you? And the price itself can sometimes be one of the reasons that you go, but, but it's, it's phenomenal to watch at York. So I, I would say sort of quality is the first and primary thing. Okay. <clears throat> so, at your golf club, I've come along. I've had a I've had a fantastic dining experience every time I've been there. You've got it all covered. You do a mean bacon sandwich. You do an unbelievable Sunday roast. I can get a uh, halloumi salad on lunchtime. You think halloumi is a bit ubiquitous, do you? Well, we'll get into because I think vegetarianism in golf clubs is an interesting thing. It's been an interesting experience for me, so we'll get into that later on. But you, you said the magic words halloumi, the ubiquitous golf club meal for vegetarians. Um, so I'm having this great experience at Carroll GC, um, but then it gets to the year end and catering's made an eighty grand loss. What are you going to do then? The silence is because I don't have an answer, and I imagine, uh, uh, and I imagine that a lot of golf clubs don't either. But look, look, you run your own business, so you're you're more you're better placed than me to answer this question. I mean, like, what would you do? Well, I think I, I have had this conversation in committee meetings, right? Um, and I think it's a really interesting, a really interesting debate. So, in golf clubs, there are there are things that actually that's not true. There are things that people are happy to spend money on because they see it as like a fundamental part of um, the golf club. So the golf course would be the op- opposite, the obvious um, obvious place that people would generally agree that investment is required. I think if you're going to drill that down even further, I think that people would say that making the greens better is something that almost all members would be happy that the golf club is spending money on. But people don't agree. So and you're not going, you're not, you don't have a a profitable department for quality of greens, right? There's no nothing in your PL that says, right, the quality of the greens cost us a hundred grand this year, but it's brought in as 150. That there's no such thing. Um and it's to my to my mind, and to your point, it, the same should apply to catering, I think, to a to a greater or lesser extent, in that nobody really is going to be upset about good quality catering. Um, they're not going to say, oh, the food's too good or it's too good value or it's too readily available or it's come out too fast or the staff were too nice. That isn't the thing that people say. People are only going to be happy about that. The only the only personal part of a golf club that's not going to be happy is is the accountant or the, the finance chair um, when there's a great big loss. And that, that person is unhappy because they're the one that are culpable and they have to do something about it. So your options are to put green fees up, have more members, increase membership fees, because that's effectively going to fund the catering. And that is where the problem lies, because then that obviously does not sit well with members. Um, So I think you can't have it both ways. Um, I think I would massively fall on the side of, I would 
I would play a premium for my membership in order to, to subsidize to a degree um, good quality catering. So I think that that is that is that is one option that is available to clubs. Is just to say, catering is is part of the club's PL. It's impossible for us to provide you with what you want and make it profitable. So we're going to ask everybody for whatever premium, whatever levy is required each year to subsidise the catering. And 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 I'd make it transparent because that is the thing that gets people's go. I'd say, look, ladies and gentlemen, last year catering was £80,000 loss there's 800 of you um, so we're going to have to put the subs up well I admire your honesty Tom and thank you for coming to me with such a transparent point of view but um, playing devil's advocate I just go to the golf club and I just go and have a pint afterwards I am a golf club member who never ever eats any food never ever takes any food I don't even I don't even buy as much as a scone why am I subsidising an op- a loss making operation that I never use? Because you, you, because you, when you do use it, you'll have a good experience. That I started off my point by saying no one's ever moaned about a good experience. And also, if you so, you're, if you're so in, not uninvested in the golf club, you probably won't go to the AGM, so you won't hear the explanation of why the subs have gone up. You'll just think, "Oh, my subs have gone up. That's all right because the greens are good." That is that is a very good point. Actually, that is a very good point. Um, I should po- I should point out as well that I, I would be very much in the camp that pays the subsidy because I eat a lot. Of, I try and eat as much as possible at the golf club. But I think yeah 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 yeah. You I think would people would people would you not sort of have people taking the view? Well, I'm bloody well paying for it, so I might as well use it. Um, then I think there would be an element of that, um, and I think that it would potentially become a slightly self-fulfilling prophecy and it would almost be like the membership has provided the seed capital to allow catering to be a success it's just hamstrung by the fact it's it's loss making so it can't get going as a thing you can never get to the point where people are using it because they don't know what they're going to get when they get there so that is my answer is i would say right we've we've run the numbers to provide the service we need it's going to cost us eighty thousand pounds a year there's 800 of you it's 100 quid each happy days I, I mean, I actually take the view as well that um, golf club food on the whole is pretty good value, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to pay back in the days of eating eating animals. <laughs> I used to pay £2.50 for a bacon sandwich. I think that's eminently reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I pay about two sixty five now for an egg sandwich. Oh, have you won any egg sandwiches lately? Well, there's been no golf played, so oh. I'm... Um, no, no. So, how many have you won this season altogether? Two, two. Yeah, right. it's not going to keep. It's not going to keep the kitchen afloat, is it? No, it's well. It's, I mean, if I had to rely on bacon, oh, sorry, on uh, egg sandwiches for my diet, I might be a bit of a whiff by now. What about um, uh, outside caterers? Have you seen that work? Franchises. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I. I, I apologise if I'm getting this wrong, but I think my club's an outside an outside franchise. Um, and it's great. I've got I have zero complaints about the food at Yacht Golf Club. Um, they offer me a vegetarian option that is cheese, fine, um, but it's at least a take on it. It's a mozzarella pesto and tomato, lovely yeah. in a in a sort of panini, fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it, I've seen various places I've been at have, have had that um, model, and it kind of, in my experience, it works for a bit. 
um, one of the problems I think is the seasonality of it all. And if you've got um, a private members club and um, it's busy in the summer and it's obviously quieter in the winter, it's less, less daylight hours, people are using the club less. I think the outside caterer can make it stick in the summer months. Um, I think it becomes difficult for them in the winter. Um, and they might do one winter and they might get through another summer um, and then the prospect of having another loss-making winter or quiet winter becomes difficult for them. Um, so I think that that is, that is one challenge with it. I think that it's, it's something, it would be, it's a very anomalous thing in a golf club to have something that is happening to your visitors and to your members that is not under your control. Um, like it, outsourcing a service like that, a, such a fundamental service, I think in a, in a club environment is a, a sort of slightly peculiar route to go down. Um, we sort of talked earlier about the, the really cool experience of Joseph's button on the till at the golf club. And you, you, you wonder um, if people weren't so sort of invested in, in club life and, and members lives, if that, if that sort of thing would happen, I'm not saying you can't get that with an outside caterer. I just think that the nature of it is, is more transient. Um, it's the difference between being a staff member, I guess, and being a freelancer. Like you, you, you kind of, you're more your master of your own destiny, aren't you? I, I also think that there's, I've I've not I've only got limited experience of seeing this happen and through you know whispers that you get in, that you get in clubs that I've been to but I think when when the relationship breaks down as well between a franchise carer and the club it can get a bit messy um whereas yeah. I think whereas if you've got catering in house it's provided by staff and it's not working well there are things that you can do aren't there there are quick things that you can do in order to try and turn that around where whereas that's possibly a bit more difficult with franchising perhaps where there might be contracts signed and things like that well and uh, like one member of staff leaving or whatever else is is fine the whole the whole the whole catering department walking out is not fine is it because then you've got no catering um so i think that is that is a solution i think that can work um i don't think it would be happening at carol gc if i'd have the fnb delegated to me well, well there is something i'd like to talk about at carol gc um which wasn't on our which was wasn't on our agenda notes but it's a big part of like my golf club experience and i find it to be and it's catering i find it to be massively variable mm-hmm. depending on where i go and that's the experience of the halfway house ah we we, why haven't we talked about the halfway house yeah this is this is why this is why i'm bringing it in um i mean i've had some phenomenal halfway house experiences um that are like uh, king's barns comes immediately to mind renaissance comes immediately to mind you know these places where it's not so much a halfway house as like it feels like you're stepping into a outbuilding of the club it's that grand um and then i've had some terrible 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 halfway house experiences where basically there just wasn't anything on at all or especially as a, especially in my in my current uh, eating frame of mind where you, you just sort of go in and there's nothing that i can have it's like there's nothing to eat um unless i want a packet of cheese and onion crisps or something right so it- Sorry, are you are you telling me you've got a, you've got a complaint about your the experience of vegetation a vegetation a vegetarian in a halfway house? Oh, absolutely! I can't remember where it was where I went. Otherwise, I would name it. It's quite a new. It's quite. <laughs> it's quite a niche thing. 
it was an amazing halfway house, right? I would, I will give it that. And there was about seven different pies you could have had. And then I sort of said to the lady behind the bar, have you got anything that sort of doesn't involve meat? She sort of just like looked at me, gave me, gave me this sort of sideways askew glance and kind of no. Um, so I, I could have had, I could have had some crisps or I could have had some chocolate, but you know, anything else more substantial. Um, so I've, I've had some horrible halfway house experiences. Why do I, I sort of feel like we've had protesters at the Grand National, we've had protesters at the uh, snooker. I sort of feel like next time I'm at Sunningdale, I'm going to find you on the roof of the halfway house in a Superman outfit. Steve for justice, justice for vegetarians in halfway houses. I'll have probably glued myself to all the pies so it's no quite... one else can eat them. <laughs> it's quite... It's quite a niche thing to get upset about if you don't want me. Well, uh, we'll get back. We'll get back to halfway houses in a second. But I mean, I, I mean, I genuinely think. Look, veg, being a vegetarian is a choice, right? I understand we're not, that. We're not going to get back to halfway houses. Not on the agenda. So if you've got halfway houses, talk about it now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna circle back, Tom. Trust me. We'll okay. circle back to it because I've got one more complaint to make about halfway houses. Um, but except right being a vegetarian is a choice in, in my case it's because meat really disagrees with me um and um i think i think the rest of the clubhouse would largely prefer if i didn't eat it frankly <laughs> stop going on about it but, but being a vegetarian is a choice right i appreciate that and we are still a minority in what is a very much a meat-eating environment. I mean, you go to a golf club. I go to a golf club. The first thing that gets put put in front of me is a bacon sandwich. Great, but I don't eat bacon. Um, a lot of golf clubs, to be fair to them, will say to me, you know, would you like something with an egg or something like that? Great, thank you. I really appreciate that. And they'll, they'll, go, they'll go out of their way and they'll make an egg sandwich for me, which is fantastic. Um, but, but then after sort of the round eating is also an issue because I basically golf club, golf club menus just appear to me to be entirely generic when it comes to vegetarians. It's either like the cheese and onion sandwich. There's something with an egg. Um, if a golf club's particularly adventurous, there might be halloumi. Um, did you see, did you see the sarcasm in the word particularly? What's your problem? What's your problem with halloumi? too squeaky it's too squeaky for you nothing nothing that squeaks when you eat it is good for you it can right. provides it can provide no nutritional value whatsoever and so if you don't like the halloumi there's that other vegetarian favorite isn't there which is butternut squash which again like it like with like with foods like polenta it should just be consigned to the dustbin and never ever removed um so i get used to this and you know, I know that basically when I go to a golf club, I'm going to be eating a, I'm going to be eating a cheese or cheese essentially, or an egg. Um, but is it like, can we just can someone just be like slightly a bit more a bit more adventurous? I I looked at a menu the other day. I had pizza on it. I nearly fell off my chair. I was so surprised. I was like, brilliant. Can I have, can 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 I just like order four of these things? I'll be eating them next time I come. So the, I wonder what the, I wonder what the, um, the propensity of vegetarians is in the general population versus in golf clubs. So, so I'm all, I'm all, uh, I'm all for diversity, right? 
and I definitely think that the argument that is, well, there's not very many of them, so why shouldn't we cater for them if we're talking about uh, female participation, for example? I think I've got some truck with that because I think there's an element if you've got to build it and they will come. I'm not entirely sure that on anyone's list at golf clubs is we've got to do a better job with vegetarian. <laughs> what are we going to do about vegetarians? This, this... I, I, I'm looking at... Um... I'm looking at a, a golf club menu at the moment. I won't say where it's from, um, but uh, the sandwich options are cheddar or egg mayo. Great. Do you think? Do you think the truth of it is you don't actually like being a vegetarian and you're trying to take it out in a golf club menu? There might be some of that. Um, I can have a halloumi ciabatta. Um, so you really should have covered this in challenges, by the way, because this is we're in this. We're in the solution section now, but anyway, I'll let you off. But ju- just rolling back to halfway houses, and I think this this goes back to some of the this goes back to some of the challenges that you have. I th- I think a halfway house is a hugely important part of a golf club, actually, because um, a lot of the time when you might want to take something on board is when you when you get to halfway. Now, I don't necessarily want to be looking around quite a lot of different food with me but i might be tempted to buy food or well, i won't be tempted i would absolutely buy food at halfway but you were talking about the staffing hours in the golf club earlier on i mean the staffing hours in a halfway house uh, i think are, are just as fundamentally you know at, at my club um the halfway house is open like on a weekend but it shuts at around four now that's quite a long time that that person's in that halfway house right it's like a full day um but my circumstances of playing golf mean that I have to play sort of mid to late afternoon. So often I can't take advantage of that service because of the time that I play. So I'm essentially being disadvantaged because of the time that I play golf. But but what can I expect? Can I, do, do I expect a member of staff to be sat in there till the last golfer? It's unreasonable, right? Um, it's unreasonable to expect that. And yet, um, and yet that, that sort of halfway house opportunity that's available for someone who might play at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock is not available for someone who plays later. And I think that this is, I think this is an increasing challenge for golf clubs as golfers are more active and as more tee times are filled. I mean, it's not unusual now in a big Saturday competition, at a, a club with a lot of active members, for tea times to be full from half seven in the morning till four. So what so what do you do in that regard? Do you just accept that there are certain services that members can have that others can't? Or do you try and plug that gap? Or for something that might not necessarily make you a lot of money? I mean we're only talking about pennies usually, aren't we? Spent by each golf. It's a really difficult problem, I think. So my I, I had I had added a hundred pounds onto the subscription at Carol G C to cover the quality catering experience um i've subsequently heard from one particularly vocal member who says he wants an array of flavored tofus available in the halfway house 24 hours a day so i'm having to increase the levy now by a further 75 pounds per year um so a mr s carroll is getting what he requires um i think it comes down to cost it's just down, it's just it is entirely down to whether you think your membership will stand paying more money to get exactly what they want when they want it that's what you describe him um and halfway a halfway halfway house is like absolutely classic example of that like of course it, nobody doesn't want a halfway house right everybody wants one can you say nobody doesn't is that a double negative everybody wants everybody wants a halfway house of course they do 
But the reason you wouldn't have a halfway house is how do you staff it and it's going to cost money and you've got to get electric there and it needs to have Wi-Fi and blah, 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 blah. You've got to heat it and it's got all the rest of it. Um, I, do you reckon I can't work out if working in a halfway house would be an amazing job because you'd get a break every eight minutes or it'd be a terrible job because you knew that every eight minutes another four fucking customers were going to be arriving. <laughs> you'd have a lot of, spend a lot of time on your phone, wouldn't you, potentially? I, th- I think there's, I think it's a lot of work, yeah. um, because you know, to especially at like, especially at like my club, you know, it, the those tea times are busy, yeah. um, and my experience is there are not a lot of people that when I've watched people going up to the halfway house, there's not a lot of people that don't take the opportunity to at least put their head around the door. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Um, so. I'm going to drag you back to solutions. One of the solutions that kind of, I think, slipped by the wayside is this the, the notion of an old school steward. You ever been at a club with a steward? I've not been a member of a club uh, with, that had a steward. I've been forcefully brushed down by a steward in the past. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, this is very sort of like Gerald Durrell or whatever the expression is, like kind of harking back to some sort of like halcyon, this is how it used to be in the 40s. It's like James Herriot, isn't it? There'll be sheep rolling around before you know it. Exactly. It's it definitely a bit revisionist. But like, what these people really need, what clubs really need, is like a nice uh, couple who one of them's going to do the catering, one of them's going to do the bar. They live on site, so they're sort of they're kind of happier to do longer hours. It's kind of their life and soul it's going to be well-kept beer it's going to be home-cooked food um and that that couple will feel like they're sort of part of the institution of the golf club that's how it used to be um that's so i think that i think that's what we should do we need to go back to how it was in the 50s and and just have uh old 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 school stewards what do you think well do you not think that that isn't still a thing i mean i know of a number of clubs that still have stewards and some that some that live on site. And I think, you know, at a lot of clubs, you know, the bar manager is an, is an extension of the club. I mean, I, I, they're probably the person you know best there outside of the pro. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they and they care and they look after you and they, they sort of, you know, provide that kind of solace from the evils of the world stuff that good bar managers do. You know, penny, pe- penny for your troubles. Um, the other thing, the other thing I've written down for solutions is um, having things like weddings and all this kind of carry on at your golf club. Um, I've been at golf clubs that have done that. Um, that's obviously bringing in additional money. Um, it's not what I'd want at my golf club. It's not happening at Carroll GC. Well, you get used to it. Um, so, I mean, the, it's, weddings were an absolute and are an absolute fixture at Sandburn Hall, which is my previous club. I mean, by, by the by the time that I was preparing to leave pre-COVID, obviously, because of COVID restricted it all, you know, you could have a wedding there on a Friday, a Saturday, a Sunday, and a Monday, um, and midweek. Um, and then there'd, of, there'd often be functions, because there's a 150-person function room upstairs. Um, so you could have, like, proms there on a Wednesday night and stuff like that. And you'd be surprised, actually, how quickly as a golfer you get used you get used to it um so um the the wedding party would often be like they are there's a, like a, a patch of um 
they've got their own separate bar and there's like a patch of grass outside that they can congregate on that's just across the fence from the 18th green separated by a pond so it's not unusual to see huge wedding parties there when you were finishing around on a Saturday and actually you get used to it pretty quickly to the point where you know you just walk through them and you don't re- you don't really even notice them anymore it's quite amusing if you're playing of an evening um, and there's a wedding going on and you're sort of getting booed by the getting booed by some of the guests because you've plunked it into the water on the 18th but um yeah I, I don't I know some golf club members could uh, because managers have told me that um, get massively animated about the prospects of lots of weddings but you know we were pretty I think I was pretty laissez-faire about it when I was at Sandburn I just got used to it and I understood the huge amounts of money that all of that was bringing into the golf club which meant that we could invest in the golf club or we could keep membership fees down or we could build the massive hotel that's on there now as well or we could invest in the restaurant so it's all self-fulfilling isn't it we i mean my the golf club i grew up at had weddings and on more than one occasion we would end up on the rampage in the at the evening do because it happens coincide with the end of our afternoon drinking so you would you would get crash the wedding I, I mean more than once more than one wedding it just came a thing that we did like if there was if there was a wedding on the golf club we basically said oh, we won't um we won't go into town. We'll just stay at the golf club for the wedding. Because <laughs> you can invariably get some free beer and uh, there was obviously lots of bridesmaids and things. Did you end up on, have you, have you sort of ended up on some wedding pictures somewhere? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, this didn't happen once. This happened like regularly for three or four summers. Um. So yeah, maybe, maybe weddings at golf clubs aren't all bad. Um. So what have you got coming up then? Let's put catering to bed. Making me hungry as well. What uh, what have you got coming up? This is a this is a very divisive question. Golf wise or catering wise? Anything wise. What have you got coming up? What are you doing next week? Well, I'm not doing what you're doing, so I can see this lead in just because you <laughs> want to boast about where you're going. Are you uh, are you going to watch Live? I'm I'm no. Um, well, firstly because it's in Australia. And that will involve some very early morning golf, probably. Um, I don't know. I haven't really checked out the times. Secondly, I sort of resent to giving all my details to the CW app struck Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't fancy giving. It was all right when it was on YouTube because I could sort of watch it anonymously and sort of feel all right with myself. But um, I think I've got to check with I've got to check with the guys at TaylorMade. Um, but I think I'm going to the Belfry on Monday for my all outside of driver tailor-made fitting hallelujah praise the lord i was at the belfry last sunday night when the uh, for the final round of the masters as were most of the white belt population of great britain well that's good news i've got yeah I, I don't know what um i've as you would imagine tom because you you've known me for a long time i have given the prospect of this fitting some serious thought about like what i'd like to be fitted into despite the fact i've not i've not um hit a ball so i've decided that i've had a look at some of the clubs i've decided that the stealth two irons are probably a bit sort of too heavy in the top line for me um i need something a bit thinner i like my pitching wedge to be thin not fat um so i i think it'll turn out to be possibly a choice between the P770 and the P790 in the irons. Got you. 
I'm glad you got that booked in. It'll be cool. I've done, I went to the tailor-made fitting centre at the Belfry a couple of summers ago to get a Sim 2 or something like that. Um, and it's a really good experience, really cool place. Well, I just hope they're patient because sometimes when I'm nervous, um, and I'm often nervous in a fitting, I have a propensity to shank it. Yes, I've witnessed that. <laughs> Let's not dwell on that. Even the people who were there that day don't like talking about it. It was incredible. They like I, I did it, and they, they looked at my swing, and they could find no scientific reason that I was shanking it. They, they, they appeared that I was uh, it appeared that I was actually managing to sort of fashion some sort of weird swing that made it go sideways, completely off the toe. Hmm. My uh, yeah, well that'd be good. I would. I'll I'll be interested to hear how that goes. Um, I bet you get pitted into an HD driver, uh, opposed to what you've got at the minute. You reckon the, I, I like the driver I've got fifty um, th- eleven of its last fourteen fairways. Well, I would definitely have a, get them to let you have a go with an HD and see how you get on. Um, I was asking about Live because I've been lots of people been talking to me about Live lately. I've got a friend who it's like I've got a pen pal in Australia. Do middle-aged men have pen pals? I'm, uh, I'm kind of worried about where this is going. I met, he's called Phil Bannister. I met him um, on my honeymoon in California in 2011. Um, and we've basically stayed in touch ever since. He writes to me quite a lot. I, I have definitely rung him drunk when he's like a golf, he's a golf architect perv, like loves his golf courses. Um, and I happened to get paired with him at Spyglass. And we were doing this big trawl around California and he um, he happened to be going in the same direction as us. So later on in a trip, he organised us some golf at. Um, well, definitely played PJ West with him, and he arranged a game um, at a place called the Palms, which is a private club in um, in the desert. And we played with uh, the guy who, who was the chief exec of the PJ of America at the time. Can you believe that? Wow, you got yourself in some circles. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty it was a pretty cool experience. Um, I think we both had a nice time. He introduced me to a lot of um, interesting people. Um, anyway, he lives he lives in um, Melbourne, so I was asking him about the, what the sort of view was of the live stuff, and he says that his personal position is he's kind of a bit ambivalent, but he was also saying that in Australia generally there's an awful lot of excitement about it because they get to see um, PGA Tour players, um, for want of a better expression, um, so infrequently. It's so, I think it's sold out, hasn't it? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's two reasons. I think Greg Norman's an absolute hero there, um, as is Cam Smith, obviously, both hugely involved in live. And and, and that point that you make in, in that, um, you know, it, it, I think Dustin Johnson was saying he's never been to Australia. Um, <laughs> he probably has, just didn't realise. And I think, but I think they've really got, I, I think we'll see a more events in Australia because yeah. if you see the way, I, I'm only seeing this from Twitter, um, but if you see the way the media have got behind it, I mean, this is actually, this is absolutely the kind of thing that Live One, isn't it? So to yeah. go to somewhere where they're basically being treated as heroes instead of um, the standard questions they get anytime they're in America or anywhere around Europe, which is basically why are you supporting a regime that butchers people, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, it, it, it'll be no, it'll be no surprise if we see two or three Australian events on the Live calendar next year. I think you're absolutely right. Um, the other side of it is that I've got a couple of um, couple of friends who are kind of um, 
were at the Masters and were very much in the sort of inner circle of a lot of the players on on the Live Tour. And they were kind of saying to me that they think it's pretty much fact that um, like people like Cam Smith and um, Brooks Koepka are sort of not 100% happy with their decisions. So it's 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 very strange, I think, that um, it's still this massive dichotomy of a thing, isn't it? Where on the one hand, it's making a lot of noise and you would have to say it's been successful. And on the other hand, um, there's still a lot of negativity surrounding it. Um, but I was particularly interested in this weekend because it will be for the first time, packed full of fans, I think. Yeah. I thought you were talking about this because you were getting to a long point about you going to California next week. I am going to California next week, Steve. What What are you doing in the sunshine state? It is going to be epic. Um, we're going to see KBS, the people who make golf shafts. We're going to see Cobra, the people who make golf clubs. And we're going to see Callaway and we're going to see TaylorMade. Uh, all of their um, headquarters are very close to each other in in Carlsbad. I don't need know quite what it's going to be like. I'm sort of imagining like a sort of weird sort of retail park that just happens to have the world's biggest golf brands on it, as opposed to like a DFS. Uh, <laughs> and it's just outside San Diego instead of just outside Dali Dale. Um. Have you um, have you organised? I mean, there's obviously a lot of well known and very high publicity state well, golf clubs down there. Have you got have you got anything pleasant lined up? So I was sort of hoping to be able to say yes, I'm going here, here, and here. So what I've done is I've effectively spammed everybody that I know who's ever set foot in California who might have a contact at a good golf club. Um, and. My people are working on it, is what I'll say at the moment. I've got a few people in making a few inquiries at a few interesting places. But Cyprus points out the question. No, Cyprus points not out the question. We, uh, well, being a member of a McKenzie club, the uh, Old Woodley's in the Worldwide McKenzie Society, um, as is Cyprus. So that helps. My friend Phil from Australia is helping, m- may be able to help us out at LA Country Club. You've got to pass a tempo, right? I said LA Country Club and you didn't flinch. I didn't because I'd prefer to go past a tempo. Well, that's another one we're trying to look at. Yeah, that is six hours away from where we are, but we're prepared to do it. So we've got one game in at the minute on the Sunday morning at a very, very nice private members club in San Diego. And we are, we've got half a night. It's PJ Tours in Mexico, isn't it? So if we don't manage to get any golf organised for Saturday, we might go and have a look at that. It sounds like the trip of a lifetime. I won't. I won't at all. I won't at all be jealous. Um, sat in York. Sat in York. Well, you're off to Turnbury the week after, aren't you? Two or three weeks. All right. There we go. Bear in mind, for most of this week is like meetings and filming and working and all the rest of it. Yeah, my heart bleeds for you. <laughs> anyway. Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, pod from uh, a proper recording studio, one of these swanky HQs. Yeah, that, that, yes. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll try and get a, a video podcast done so we can see inside. Yeah, exactly. Inside some of these places, it'll be good. Uh, that was really good. I had fun. That was good fun. Um, please, can you subscribe to our podcast channel on Apple? We need more subscribers. Thank you. 
and we will see you next week. So thanks for joining us. Bye.